Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, good morning. Isn't this rain awesome? It's so great. We are long overdue, I'll tell you. I was, I was saying the other services, you know, last year, uh, it's like the rain started about, what, in November, and like every two weeks we got a good rain, and so so great. I live out in Simi, and so you have your, the whole area is surrounded by hills, and last year looked like Ireland out there. It was just beautiful, and this year it looks more like Barstow, and so uh, I like the Ireland version. And so I'm hoping to get some, some green going back. But uh, anyway, um, hey, I've got one announcement for you, too, is that um, this is coming up a couple weeks, but, um, you know, Peak Praise, we're going to do a baptism again at Peak Praise. And uh, it's coming up not next week. You know, next week's the Super Bowl, and I want to be a good neighbor, and I don't want to steal the ratings from the Super Bowl because I know that they've worked hard for this. People are paying a lot for those commercials. And so we're going to postpone our Peak Praise a week later. And so it's going to be on the second, the second Sunday, the 11th. But, you know, a lot of people here at Rocky Peak the last month have made first-time commitments to Christ. A lot of you have made a decision, hey, you want to get serious with Jesus? You want to move from the crowd, move in, become a disciple? And the first step of that is to get baptized. And so you may not have been baptized for, you know, 20 years or whatever. But uh, Jesus said, if you to follow me, this is the way you show the world you're serious. So um, just encourage you on the back of your re- registration card, just write um, baptism. We'll have more information about that. But we have a, a class that's coming up. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll just kind of one-hour class to make sure you're prepared, all right? So, um, all right. We're really spread out today. We were, I always feel bad over here. Have you ever noticed, I tend to look more on this side. Have you ever noticed that over here? Maybe that's why you're over there. You just don't like me looking your way. But see, the reason is, is because my podium gets here. So I go like this, it's like I feel like I'm looking over you. See, so that's what it is. I've got to figure this out. But uh, anyway, uh, my name is Pastor Mike. So glad to have you here. This is, uh, uh, we're going to be continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount. Inside of your bulletin is a white message note sheet. So I encourage you to take that out as we uh, go into our time of teaching together. Let's, uh, let's pray and ask God to be with us. God, we're just so thankful to be here. We're thankful for the rain, Lord. I think of your word that says, um, as the rain comes down and brings life to the earth, that so my word brings life as it comes down in your lives. And Lord, so we pray that um, as you're with us today, Lord, we, we pray that as the rain is falling gently outside, that your spirit would fall gently on us inside. And as we come to your word, God, that you'd open our eyes to see some things perhaps we've never seen before as we continue this journey with you in this most amazing sermon ever given. We pray this in your name. Amen. He still remembers the day it started. He got, he got up that morning. It was like any other day. He went to the corner, got his wash basin out, washed his face. Back in those days, they didn't have mirrors. And as he was washing his face, he felt something on his chin. It felt like the skin was a little bit raw, a little bit something wrong. And so he asked his big brother when he got up that morning, is there something wrong on my chin? He says, we got a little patch on your chin. And what's it look like? Well, it's kind of white, it's kind of rough. It's a little red in the middle. I wouldn't worry about it. And so for a week went by, he didn't worry about it. But a couple weeks later, the patch had grown and covered his whole chin. And now another patch had broken out on his ear and he was beginning to get afraid. He'd known people in his life who had leprosy. He'd had a couple friends that started slowly taking over their whole body, began to spread. Their hands had gotten deformed. Their feet had gotten deformed. They often would lose their feelings in their extremities. And so as a result, they'd step into a fire or cut themselves, and they wouldn't even know that they'd been hurt. And so they often became deformed. Sometimes their face would begin to look like the face of a lion's. Over time, they would usually have to move out from their families because you couldn't have contact with lepers, and so they would often have to leave their homes and leave their families and live outside the city. And so he began to get fearful. He began to pray and ask, God, would you heal me of this? If there's something wrong with me, would you make sure that you heal me of this? But as the weeks turned into months and the months turned into years, it was obvious that his worst fear had come true, that he had leprosy. There was no known cure. And as the weeks turned into months and the months turned into years, that disease began to spread, that skin disease all over his body. There finally came a time he had to say goodbye to his brother and say goodbye to his parents, and he had to leave and go outside the city. He'll never forget that day as he walked the road outside their city. The little children would stop and stare and point. The older people would drop their eyes, would refuse to look at him. These people they'd lived with their whole life, they didn't know what to say. Looking back now, it seems like it's been a lifetime away. It was a whole different world, a whole different set of dreams and visions. 
He'd hoped to grow up. He hoped to have a wife. He hoped to have a family. He hoped to live a normal job. He had the normal dreams of the men his age. But it seems so long ago now, so in the distance. He still remembers the day that he first heard about this new prophet in the Galilee. Word was out, this man was amazing, and he was a teacher, but he also had the power to heal. And at first he blew it off. He didn't want to get his hopes up. But as the, the weeks turned into months, more and more reports came filtering back into his town. Finally, some people from his town actually went at great distance and found this teacher, and they came back and they said, it's true. Everything we've heard about this man is true. He's the most gifted teacher we've ever heard. He's not at all like our, our rabbis here. And it's true, he could heal people. We saw him, he saw him open the eyes of the blind. We saw him heal the, the ears of those who were, could not hear. We even saw some lepers that he healed. And somewhere along the line, faith began to spring up in this man's heart. You see, years before, when he first got his lepers, he begged God that God would one day heal him, would save him from this dreaded disease, but God had not seemed to answer that prayer. And the rabbis in town often said that leprosy was a sign that you'd committed some particularly bad sin. It didn't make sense to him. As he looked back over his life, he couldn't see how he's different from anyone else. But gradually he began to pull away from God. He seldom prayed anymore. But now as these stories of the prophet of Nazareth came back, filtering into his town, he began for the first time in years to begin to pray again. He began first time in years to have some hope. He began to remember the stories that he'd been told when he was a little boy. Stories of Miriam, who was the sister to Moses who, had, who had, uh, uh, had leprosy and God had healed her, healed him, healed her. The story of Naaman the Syrian who had leprosy and Elisha told him to bathe in the Jordan River seven times and you would be healed and he was healed and his flesh was like a new baby's again. As the stories filtered back, he began to have hope. If I could just meet this Jesus, something began to tell him that, that I think this guy could heal me. I I don't know, but something, I think I just got to meet this man. But there was, how do you meet him? He was so far away. He was so distant. He was no longer to walk, walk well anymore. His feet were beginning to be deformed. He could walk distances, but not long distances. How would he get to Jesus? How would he even find him? How would he know where to even begin to look? And then came the day when he was outside the village and a messenger called to him from a distance because you can't get close to a leper and a messenger called to him that Jesus is coming to our town. And he remembers in that moment thinking, I have to get to Jesus and I have to beat the crowds because if the crowds get there first, I can't go near the crowds and I'll never get near to Jesus. And so he set out on the path not knowing what he would say when he got there. He wasn't supposed to get close to people. What would he say? What, would Jesus even take him? Would Jesus even let him approach but somehow he knew it was his only hope. And so he went out on that road that day, and he went looking for a band of brothers. And sure enough, he found them. He saw a group of 12, 15, 20 people. It had to be Jesus. And as he got closer, he could make out which one Jesus was. It was obvious in the way he was talking and the way he was been described. In those last few seconds, he doesn't really remember what happened. He just remembers something inside him said he had to get to Jesus. And he began to break out at a run. It wasn't a solid run because he couldn't run well anymore. But as fast as he could, he made his way to Jesus. It was now or never. He had to throw caution to the wind. And when he got there, he threw himself down. He went down to his knees, and then he went down to his face. And in the ground in front of Jesus, he began to beg. And all he said was, Jesus, I know that you can heal me if you want to. Today we come to the third beatitude in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the third step in the path to happiness. It's the third mark of a true disciple. It's the third character quality Jesus is trying to create in our life. Blessed are the meek. If you've been here the last few weeks, you know the story. Jesus has launched his ministry in the north of Israel. Crowds are coming from all over. They want to hear him. They want to perhaps view a miracle. One day there, north of the Sea of Galilee, he feels it's time to share with them his message, the message of his movement. And so he calls the crowds up onto the hill. They go up onto the hill, and there with his disciples around his feet, and the crowds and the, uh, scattered around. He begins to share with them his message. It was the most famous sermon in the history of the world. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. It was destined to impact the lives of billions of men and women, changed the course of human history. 
He starts that sermon with eight statements about what it takes to be truly happy in life. We call them the Beatitudes because it comes from the Latin word for blessing. We call it the blessings because every one of the eight statements starts the same way. Blessed or happy is this kind of person because here's the reason why. And then he's laying out the path to happiness, but he's also laying out the path to character, the kind of people that he's looking for to join him in his kingdom, the kind of people he wants to turn us into. And so today we come to the third Beatitude. It's in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5. If you have your Bibles, open them up. If you don't have your Bibles, please don't make that mistake again. <laughs> Just kidding. Kind of. Okay, Matthew 5, 5. Now we're going to read this all together. You ready? I'll wait for you all to get there. 5, 5. Here we go. Ready? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Let's do it again. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now once again, this is a surprising statement. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know the first two were surprising, first two Beatitudes. Once again, this is surprising. If you're there, I think you would have something, you, you would have resisted this teaching of Jesus. I think if you were there, you would have said, oh, I'm not so sure about that. Blessed or happy are the meek. So what does it mean to be meek? Well, we'll be talking about that a lot today. But let's for now, for just say, say like gentle, it's humble. It has to do with um, not running over the rights of others to get what you want. And so Jesus says, blessed or happy are the humble or the gentle because they will inherit the earth. They will rule the world. Now, if you're there listening to Jesus, I think you want to pull him aside about this time and say, no, Jesus, I don't think you meant to say that. You, didn't, you don't mean to say that blessed are those who are gentle and humble. They will rule the world. The people that rule the world are the ruthless people. The people who rule the world are the violent people. The people who rule in this world, think about your business, your office place, look down the course of human history, think of world politics, the people who rule are the people who are often ruthless, the violent. They're the ones who inherit the earth. Jesus, look at who's ruling us right now. We're ruled by the Romans. It's the Romans who inherit the earth. It's the Romans of our world who, who win. It's not the meek. It's not the gentle. It's not the humble. No, it's the Romans of life who win. And Jesus said, no, I, just trust me in this. I know what I'm saying. Trust me in this. He says, I'm out to create a new kind of person. It's a person that's gentle. It's a person that's humble. It's a person that's meek. Because one day, they're going to help me rule planet Earth. And I'm developing those kinds of people. And I want you to come, and I want you to be a follower of mine. And I guarantee you, if you follow me and you learn how to be meek, guess what? One day, you will rule the world. Really. So what does it mean to be meek? Today, we're going to talk about this, what it means to be meek. We're going to come out from a couple different angles. I want to talk about what it is and what it isn't. And I'm going to start by what it isn't, because if I don't start with what it isn't, you're not going to listen to me the rest of the time, okay? And so we, we have to kind of tear down before it can build up. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called Meekness, What It Isn't. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to write down three words for me, a little statement here, a little phrase, all right? Here we go. You ready? And write this down. Meekness isn't weakness. Right, we've got to get real clear on this. If we don't get clear on this, this whole message is going down in flames. Meekness isn't weakness. Let me, let me ask you a question now. Before you came in today, before you heard the sermon at all, um, if I were to say to you, I'm going to throw out a word. I'm going to throw out a word meek, and I want you, and this is a, we're going to pretend like we're a, uh, like a large, small group here, okay? So, so when, you, when I throw out the word meek, what's the first word that comes to your mind? Give, give me some help here. Okay, whatever, passive? Passive, okay? Weak, timid, pitiful, <laughs> humble, pathetic. <laughs> Anything else? What? Quiet, very good. 
Uh, some of the other services sent, said things like um, wimpy. Um, one brave woman said wuss. Um, okay, you get in the picture. You get in the picture here, right? Now, how many of you would consider that a compliment? If someone comes up to you and said, man, I just, you're such a meek man. I'm just really, when I, when I, when I think of you, one word that comes to my mind, you are meek. You want to slap him. You see, you see meekness? I'll show you meekness. I'm throwing it down right here. You call me meek once again? I'll show you what meek looks like, right? Like, does anyone really, you know, we want, it's a compliment or is it a criticism? In our culture today, the way we use the word, if you're meek, it's like meek as a mouse, right? Not high on the list, right? And so if we're going to get anywhere today, we need to lay this out right away that meekness has nothing to do with weakness. And you say, now, Mike, how do you know that? Well, because Jesus was anything but weak. And the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is that we're going to become like whom? Like Jesus. And so he says, you're to become like me. We'll see later. He calls himself meek. But anyway, for right now, that Jesus was anything but meek. He was a strong man. He was strong physically. He was strong emotionally. He was strong spiritually. When I think of Jesus, a couple scenes come to my mic when I think of strength. I think of the way he stood up to the religious leaders. He was always wading waist deep into danger, into moving into harm's way. If there was conflict, he was usually in the midst of it. He was heading for it. And it wasn't just the religious leaders. It was the Roman leaders before the, the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. A couple pictures come to my mind. See if this rings a bell. Jesus twice goes into the temple at Jerusalem. Huge temple, crowded with people, temple guards all around. Doesn't like what's happening. So he goes over in the corner. He finds some rope. He makes a makeshift whip. And he starts like whipping people and, and chasing them out of the stadium, out of the, 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 uh, the temple. Now, I'll tell you, I can follow a guy like that. You see? Like that's my kind of guy. It's like if I'm going to follow somebody, I like the whip guy. You know? Who's the guy with the whip? Man, that guy's got some passion. He knows where he's going. See? No one stopped it. Some of the temple guards are going, you get him. No, you get him. I'm not getting him. You know? Uh, another picture of Jesus. He's standing before the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. Now, this guy is ruthless. You may not know this, but he was a ruthless governor. There's one time in Pontius Pilate's life where he was ticked off at a bunch of Galilean men. Now, Jesus was from where? Galilee. So it's from his neighborhood. And so he's ticked off with a bunch of Galilean men. And to make a point that he's in charge of this area, he not only kills these men, 18, 20, whatever men it is, but he drains their blood. He puts it in containers. He takes it to the temple in Jerusalem. He says, where are you doing sacrifices today? Oh, it's over there. It's at the holy altar. Great. Where's the blood you put on it? Oh, the animal blood? Here it is. We kill the animals with the blood here. He says, great. I want you to mix this human blood, these guys I just butchered. I want you to put this blood with that blood, and then I want you to offer it to your God on your sacrifice, because I want to be really clear here that you might be able to worship at this temple, but you still report to me. This is Pontius Pilate. And Jesus goes before Pontius Pilate, And after he's been up all night and been whipped and beaten, Pontius Pilate says, aren't you going to talk to me? Don't you realize that I have the power of life and I have the power of death? And Jesus says to him, you know, actually, the only reason you're in power is because my father put you there. And he says, and that's the reason why the people who turned me over to you are in more trouble than you are. Pontius Pilate's like, uh, excuse me, I think I got a call. He goes back in and he tries to figure out, how do I get this guy off the hook? I don't know who he is. This guy's weird. This guy's out there. This guy's scaring me. And he goes back and he tries to figure out a way to get Jesus off the hook. Jesus was fearless. And when he comes into your life and my life, he doesn't come to turn us weak. He comes to turn us into warriors. And so meekness has nothing to do with weakness. And it's really important we start there and get clear on that today, because if we don't, you're not going to hear anything else I say, okay? So meekness isn't weakness. Let's go on to the, the, the uh, let's talk about what it is. 
So if it's not weakness, what is it? You have a section in your note sheet there called uh, Two Marks of the Meek. Weak, uh, meekness, what is it? Two Marks of the Weak. And I put a couple of statements here to help us get at this, all right? So here we go. Number one, the meek do two things. Number one, first of all, they take the high road. Uh, even when the wicked are winning. They say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, let me explain. One of the marks of the meek is that they are committed to doing the right thing in life. They're going to take the high road in their relationships. They're going to do the right thing even when people around them are doing the wrong thing and seeming to get ahead. And the reason they're going to do this is because the meekness comes that they're really trusting God with their life. And they're trusting that God is big enough to deal with these things. And so if I trust God and do the right thing, he'll take care of me and he'll take care of the people that need to get taken care of, the bad people. And there's a meekness there. And so they're, they're, there's a meekness. They're going to do the right thing. They're going to take the high road even when all those around them are doing the wrong thing and seem to be getting ahead. Now, David wrote, uh, you, you might ask me, well, Mike, where do you get this from? How do you, why are we focusing on this point? Well, um, how did you get there? How how did you learn this or how you deduct this? Well, it really comes from this. It it comes from Psalm 37. I'd like you to turn there if you would. Um, Almost all scholars agree that when Jesus is quoting the third beatitude, blessed are the meek, he's actually quoting from Psalm 37, a psalm of David. And in Psalm 37, here's what is happening. David says, he's writing to a group of people who are going through a hard time in their life. And he says, I know you're going through a hard time, and I know that all around you are wicked people. They're doing the wrong thing, and they're getting ahead. But he says, I want you to trust in God, submit your life to God, keep doing the right thing, take the high road, and God will bless you, and he'll protect you, he'll take care of you, and then um, he'll vindicate your, your cause, and he'll, he'll give the others what they deserve. So, um, have you ever been in a situation like this? Like, you're doing the right thing. Let's say you're on the job, and everyone around you is getting promoted, but you know they're lying, and they're cheating, and they're doing everything wrong, and you're like, can't the bosses see this thing? It's like, what is going on? Have you ever been in a situation like that? If you've ever been there, you know that the temptation is to start playing by the same rules, right? It's like, well, if that's what it takes to get ahead, maybe that's what I need to do. Uh, have you ever been through this? I know some of you have been through this. You're going through a divorce, or you went through a divorce. You didn't even want to be divorced. You, you made a commitment, your vows for life. You meant to keep them. But your spouse comes up and says he's found someone else, or she's found someone else. They don't want to be married anymore. And so you're devastated. You're trying to deal with that situation. And now to add fuel to the fire, you go to court, and your spouse begins to lie about you. And not only do you, in in divorce court, you thought you would never be there. And how did I get here? And how did this happen? We're both Christians. This is crazy. But you've got your your ex, who's supposedly a Christian, and they're lying. They're lying about the kids. They're lying about their income. They're hiding their uh, their assets. And it seems to be working. The judge is buying. He's signing off on this. And you're saying, what is going on here? The wicked are winning. You're leading an organization. You're leading a ministry. You're in some kind of place of leadership. And all of a sudden, there begins to be ruckus and rumors and slander come about your leadership and why you're doing what you're doing or what you said or what you're doing. And it's all false. But there's no way you can even vindicate yourself without releasing confidential information. You see, these are situations we find ourselves in in life, right? We're in a tough situation, and the wicked are seem to be winning. And David says, when that happens, one of the marks of a meek person is that they commit their life to God and say, I'm going to continue to do the right thing. I'm going to trust God to protect me. I'm going to trust God to, to provide. I'm going to take the high road. I'm going to trust God to deal with this. Now, David, of course, knew what he's talking about. If you know the story of David... You know, when David was a teenager, he was anointed to be the next king of Israel. The only problem was, they already had a king. And he wasn't so big on this new guy being king. So King Saul was on the throne. He gets jealous of David. You remember the story? He begins to attack David and try to kill him. 
For the next many years of his life, David has to run for his life out in the wilderness, leave family and friends behind, run for his life, often just a step away from danger and death. And twice, at least during that time, you're going to study one in your life group this week, but at least twice in his life we know that he had Saul in his sights. King Saul was chasing him. He had him in his sights. He could have taken him out. Everyone around him was saying, David, take him out. God has delivered him into your hands. And David says, no, God anointed him to be the king of Israel. When God wants him to remove him from being the king, God will remove him, but it's not my job to do that. And so David resists the temptation to take matters into his own hands and do the wrong thing in order to get ahead. And so David knows exactly what he's talking about. And from that experience, he writes this psalm to tell us how do we deal with hard times when people the wicked are winning. So look at your Bible there in Psalm 37 and verse 1. David says, do not fret because of evil men. When you have evil people in your life and they seem to be winning, uh, don't fret. Don't be envious of those who do wrong. Because like the grass, they will soon wither. And like green plants, they will soon die away. He says, instead, here's what you need to do. I want you to trust in the Lord, and you just keep doing good. You keep doing the right thing. You dwell in the land, you enjoy safe pasture. Here's what I want you to do. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your, of your heart. I want you to commit your way to the Lord. I want you to trust in Him. And here's what He'll do. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. He'll make the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. He'll vindicate you. If you trust him, he'll vindicate you. Lynn and I have a close friend. When she was in her mid-40s, her husband, who was a school teacher, had an affair with another school teacher, much younger in his school, who worked at the same school. Through that affair, the younger woman became pregnant. And so he left his wife to marry this younger woman that he'd fallen in love with. To make matters worse, going through that painful divorce, to make matters worse, he began to spread lies and rumors about our friend. He began to try to cover up his reasons for the affair and for what was the divorce by making her out to be the bad person. It was a devastating time in her life. It was like we talked about last week. It was the worst time of her life, but it also became the best time because in that time of mourning, God drove her to himself, and there he met her in a powerful way, and her life has never been the same. Her relationship with God has never been the same. She's become an amazing woman through that experience. But in that time of darkness and hardship, when he was saying all these slanderous things about her, God continued to speak to her heart and say, you cannot slander him. You cannot return evil for evil. You can't do that. I know what he's doing is wrong. I know he's slandering you. I know he's, he's destroying your name. But you cannot, you cannot sink to that level. You have to take the high road. And I will bless you. And as the years went on, sorry to say, that new marriage also broke apart. She continued growing like crazy, continued to doing the right thing, continued to trust God to vindicate the justice of her cause. And in the end, of course, it all came out. The family and friends began to learn the real truth. And their respect for her was greater than ever, that she'd held her tongue during that time of hardship. And the beautiful thing was because God taught her how to love and taught her how to forgive, even her ex-husband, after this marriage failed, she was able to help him get back on track with the Lord in his own life. And now they're able to be in the same space. There's peace between them. They'll never get back together because of all that's went, went through. And that would be wise of her not to. But, but because of what they went through, because she handled it in such a great way, they're able to be together now. And so their daughter is able to have a place of peace in her life, you see. And that's what David's saying here. He says, when you go through this, in verse 6, he says, Trust God, do the right thing. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday. So be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. And do not fret when, when men succeed in their ways and when they carry out their wicked schemes. So refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Don't jump in and take the low road. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. 
For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Now notice that. It's getting very close to the beatitude, isn't it? They will inherit the land. But it's going to get closer. Verse 10. A little, a little while, and the wicked will be no more. And though you, you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land. You see that? And enjoy great peace. And so Jesus, as he's launching his Sermon on the Mount, he reaches back to Psalm 37, and he quotes his psalm, and he says, Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who, when they're going through hard times and the wicked are attacking them and taking the low road, that they continue to take the high road. They do the right thing. They trust their cause to God. He says, you know what? He says, one day those people are going to reign with me. One day they're going to rule planet Earth. He says, one day I will come back and I will rule on planet Earth and I'm looking for people who are committed to doing the right thing. People who are, are people of character. People who will do the right thing regardless of what it's done to them. He says, those are the kinds of people I want to rule with. Now, wouldn't that be awesome if planet Earth was ruled by that kind of people today? Wouldn't that be awesome if all of our politicians said, I don't care, you can slander me, you can come after me, you can do me wrong, but I'm committed to doing the right thing regardless. Can you imagine what our world would be like if we had leaders like that? And Jesus says that we're all as followers of him. We are being trained in a leadership development program to lead well in the next life. He's looking for men and women who will become men and women of character who will lead well when he returns. Okay, so that's the first thing. That uh, one of the marks of the meek is we refuse to take matters in our own hands, to do wrong to other people, even when they're doing wrong to us. That we will uh, treat them as they deserve to be treated. Take the high road. Okay, number two. <coughs> There's a second mark of the meek. The meek are humble and gentle and in touch with the hearts of others. They're humble, they're gentle, they're in touch with the hearts of others. <coughs> We're going to do a little Greek study here together, all right? We're going to do a lot of Greek here at Rocky Peak, because usually you take five minutes to explain what the Greek means, and when you get done, it says what the NIV says. But we're going to do a Greek study, because this is going to be helpful, I think. The Greek word that is used in the Sermon on the Mount in verse 5, blessed are the meek, is a little Greek word that's pronounced praus, like P-R-A-U-S, praus. And it's kind of an interesting word, because it's only used 15 times in all the New Testament. And four times it's used as an adjective. It's like blessed are the meek, and they're meek people adjective. Um, and 11 times it's used as a noun, so like meekness, you know, like the character quality of meekness. And of those 15 times, this is really interesting, of those 15 times in that Greek word's used, only twice is it translated in our NIV Bibles as meekness, meek or meekness. 13 times... It's translated differently, and all 13 are either translated one of two ways. It's either translated gentle or humble, okay? gentleness or humility. Okay? So if you want to understand what this means to be meek, that we need to start moving in and pressing on these two terms. What does it mean to be gentle? What does it mean to be humble? What does it mean to be in touch with the hearts of others? So by humility, I think all he's talking about is that one of the marks of the humble person is they value other people. Other people are important to them, how they think, what they feel. They're not going to use people. They're not going to abuse people. They're not going to manipulate people. You're valuable to them. See, one of the marks of the humble is that others are valuable. They're also gentle. They're gentle uh, because they value others. They're sensitive, and they're tied in with the hearts of others that they kind of sense what is the best way to approach this situation. There's a gentleness about their life. And they say, which is better? Is it better to be humble or is it better to translate humble or, or gentleness or, or being gentle? Well, it goes both ways. It's hard. I want you to take your weekend view. You know, your bulletin, take out your weekend view and look at the very front of it. And what is this thing I'm going to be talking about today? What? Humility, right? Okay. Now look at the top of your sermon notes. What is this thing I'm going to be talking about today? Gentleness, right? So even I can't decide. See? So they come to me on Wednesday, and they say, we need a sermon title. I say, I'm not ready for a sermon title. We're going to press. You need a sermon title. Okay, call it humility. Then I have another 24 hours with it. 
I got to turn in the sermon note sheet on Thursday afternoon. By that time, I said, I'm going to call it gentleness. It's hard. It's hard. It's like it's, this is a combination. Meekness is about humility. It's about gentleness. It's about being in touch with the hearts of others. Now, you can see why at this point, why I started this message by talking about what meekness isn't, right? It was so important that we get clear on this that meekness isn't weakness. It's so important that we get clear that we see Jesus cleansing, cleaning, uh, cleaning out the temple with his whip. We see Jesus before Pontius Pilate. We need to get really locked on to Jesus, how he's fearless, how he wades into danger. That this is, he is a man's man. We need to get really clear on that before we start talking about meekness. Because if we don't, we hear things, especially as, as men, we start hearing, oh, we're supposed to be gentle. We're supposed to be humble. We're supposed to be in touch with the hearts of others. It's starting to sound like Oprah around here. You see? And so we've got to get really clear on this, especially for us men. Otherwise, we're going, oh, this is a women's retreat. No, we've got to get really clear on this. We've got to get really clear on who Jesus is. We need to see him with all his strength. We need to see him with all his toughness. And then, once we're clear on that, we say, what else does meekness look like? And we say, it looks like gentleness. It looks like humility. It looks like tenderness. See, see one of the things I love about Jesus is this mixture he has of toughness and tenderness. This is who he's calling us to be as his followers. That we are called to be tough and we're called to be tender. Not one or the other. Now Jesus helps us understand this in a very famous passage of Scripture. I'd like you to take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 11 as he describes himself. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Trying to get it right this time. Last service, I said Luke eleven twenty eight. So as we're getting in, and I keep everyone like these blank stares, and I'm, wow, I've really lost people. And uh, they let me know that it was, I was the one that was lost. But Matthew eleven twenty eight. They did it in a very gentle and humble way, though. I'll, I'll tell you that. Okay. So here's Jesus describing himself. We've seen the tough side of Jesus, right? We've talked a lot about that. Let's talk about the tender side of Jesus. I want you to see both sides of this man. In verse 28, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. You ever been there? <laughs> you're just weary. You're just worn out of life. He says, hey, if you're weary, you're burdened, you're, you're, you're uh, loaded down with life, I want you to come to me. And he says, and I will give you rest. I'll take away your pain. I want you to take my yoke upon you. Now, this is a, a, a term that was used by the rabbis. When you would, like, follow a rabbi, like, he's going to be my rabbi, I'm going to follow him. They, they use the term, the phrase, taking their yoke upon you. This is a way of saying you're going to follow them. So Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Interesting, that word learn is the word for disciple. It's the word mathateo. Uh, Martha Tace, where his disciple comes from it. Be a learner. Remember we talked about this? What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower. They're a learner. And so he says, so... So take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn from me. Become my follower. He says, now here he says, and here's the reason why. Because I'm, catch these next two words, I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. You see? He, he's giving us insight into his heart now. We see Jesus tearing aside the temple. We see him before Pontius Pilate. But he's pulling back, he's pulling back the window. He's pulling back the blinds. He's pulling back the screen. He says, let me tell you what my heart, let me share what my heart is about. I'm gentle and I'm humble. In other words, it doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter how messed up you are. If you're weary and you're worn out, you come to me and I will not make you feel bad. And I will, I will not rail on you. I will receive you. And if you'll just become my follower, I will heal your heart. You see, this is what he's saying. We see an insight in the tenderness of Jesus. He's approachable. You will find rest for your soul. So what does that look like? What, is it, what does a meek person look like? What is a person who's gentle and humble? What do they look like? I want to go back. We started this service. Remember we left our leper. He was face down, lying in the dirt in front of Jesus. All his hopes, all his dreams, all his fears coming together at that one moment. All the broken dreams, all the lonely nights, all the painful days nursing his sores, watching his body shrivel and become deformed. 
all those looks of people who had rejected him, not even being able to be in the same room with people, not of feeling human touch for all these years. And it all comes together, and he's made this last sprint, or the best, closest thing to a sprint he can do, and he's falling his face before Jesus. He's laying in the dirt, and he's begging. The Bible says he's begging. Jesus, will you please, I know you can heal me. Would you please heal me? And what does a meek man look like? What does a tender man look like? What is a man who's tough and tender, what does he look like at a moment like that? Well, the first thing the Bible says is that Jesus' heart was filled with compassion. Not just a little bit of compassion, it was filled with compassion. As he looked down in this man's face down in the dirt, and he looks at his tattered body, his torn clothes, his skin with calluses over and raw spots over and flakiness on it. And he looks at this man in the ground. His heart begins to well up. It begins to fill with compassion. He sees the lonely nights. He sees the broken dreams. He sees the broken body. And the Bible says his heart fills up with compassion. Not a little bit of compassion. His heart, like a huge mug, like a cup, he begins to fill up with compassion. And the tears begin to come to his eyes. And then he does the last thing that anyone expected. You're not supposed to get close to a leper. You're not even supposed to be in the same room with a leper. If you touch a leper, you're ceremonially unclean. It's illegal spiritually in Israel to touch a leper. And as this man's laying before him, he does the last thing that anyone would ever guess. He reaches down and he puts his hand on his shoulder and he says, I do want to be healed. The man had said, if you want to, you can heal me. He says, I do want to. And he touches him. And you say, why did he touch him? We know that Jesus could heal from a word. Just by a word. In the book of Luke, we have a story with ten lepers who's standing at a great distance from Jesus because they're contagious and they were unclean and calling out from a distance, Jesus, we believe you can heal us. Would you heal us? And Jesus speaks the word and says, go and show yourself to the priest in Jerusalem as proof to him that I have healed you and to get a certificate that you're well. And they left and they were healed at once. Jesus did not have to touch this man. But he reaches down and he puts his hand on his shoulder and he says, I do want to be healed. And so why did he do that? Why did he take his hand and put it on that diseased flesh? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus was a meek man. Jesus knew that this man needed healing. He didn't need healing just of his body. He needed healing of his soul. You know what it's like being this man that moved out from his house so many years ago, has lived on his own, that has not felt a human touch in years, that every time he walks in the street, he has to say, unclean, unclean, get away from me. This man was a broken man. And Jesus wanted to heal his heart, not just his body. And Jesus, his gentleness, he understood this. And so he reached down and he touches him and says, I do want you to be well. Be healed. And he brings the guy up. And the last thing he says that day is, now I want you to take a trip. I want you to go 70 miles. I want you to go down to Jerusalem. I know it's a long trip, but it's important we do this the right way. I want you to go down. I want you to show yourself to the priests like the Old Testament law requires and prove to them that you are truly well. And then you can come back and work into the life of your community here. It's important for them. It's important for you. In the book of Colossians, There's a great passage of Scripture. I put it there on your note sheet. You're going to be studying it in your life group this week. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. The Apostle Paul is writing to a group of Christians. It's about 30 years after Jesus has been on earth. The gospel is going into all the Roman Empire. Paul's never even met these people, but they're Christ's followers. And he writes them a letter, and he says, Therefore, it's God's chosen people. 
holy and dearly loved. May I think of that for here, the church at Rocky Peak. It's what Paul would write to us. He'd say, hey, as God's chosen people, you're holy, you're dearly loved. God loves you. He says, when you get up in the morning, before you start every day, I want you to put some spiritual clothing on. And here's what I want you to clothe yourself with. Is you, before you leave the, room, leave the house, I want you to put on five character qualities. I want you to, first of all, put on compassion. And then secondly, I want you to put on kindness. Thirdly, I want you to put on humility. Fourth, gentleness. And then number five, patience. Five words, five character qualities. Number four in that list, gentleness. Number four is our Greek word of the day, praus. It's the word for meekness. When I read this passage, I, I see this passage being like a collage of character. What does it mean to be a meek person? Well, Paul says, let me give you a spiritual thesaurus. Let me, uh, let me, let me make a, like a, a collage here for you. It's hard to describe me. It's maybe like a collage of character. It's kind of like compassion. It's kind of like kindness. Certainly humility is mixed in there. You've got some gentleness along the way. You've got some patience. It all mixes together. It's like a spiritual thesaurus. He's saying, well, Paul, okay, I get that. But could you explain to me, could you like, could you, like, what does that look like in real life? And the apostle Paul could say, let me tell you a story about Jesus the one time when he healed the leper. Because in the story of Jesus healing this leper, we see meekness. We see these five character qualities. We see the compassion of Jesus as he wells up with compassion. We see the kindness of Jesus in the way he deals with this person. We see the humility of Jesus who would meet with his social reject and let him get so close to him when no one else would even let him get close. We see the gentleness of Jesus as he reaches down and puts his hand on the man's shoulder. And we see the patience of Jesus. He was so busy in his life, but not too busy to deal with someone who needed to get to him. And men and women, that's the kind of person that Jesus says he'll turn you into and he'll turn me into if we'll just follow him. See, the Christ follower is tough and the Christ follower is tender. And both sides are equally important. This week in your life group, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you as you do your life group homework, I'm going to ask you to list those five character qualities we just talked about and then to evaluate your life. How are you doing those five areas? Honestly, it's not to make you feel bad. It's not to guilt you out. Hey, but all growth starts with honesty, right? And so just where are we in these five? Hey, here's a better question. In fact, I asked this one in the homework. What would those who know you best, how would they rate you in these five areas? Some of you are making plans right now of how you're going to get sick this week. <laughs> just remember, we all made a commitment. We're coming. <laughs> See? You see, Jesus is holding up a picture for us. Blessed are the meek. He says one day that he's going to rule the world. He's looking for some people to rule with him. He's looking for people that are meek. He says one day they'll inherit the earth. They're the kind of people that they're going to do the right thing, whether it's popular or not. Even when the wicked around them are winning, they're going to trust God to take care of them. They're going to be gentle. They're going to be humble. They're going to be in touch with the hearts of others. They're going to know when people need a touch, not just a word. They're going to be empathetic. And he says, one day they'll help me rule the world. (sighs) Late that night, the town had gone to sleep. Every light in the town was off. Jesus had long since left the town to move on to the next village. But there in the distance on the corner of the town, there was one house where the light was still burning. In that house, the leper had gone home. His first time home in years. The night was getting late. He gave his brother and his brother's new wife a hug good night. He gave his mom and dad a hug good night for the first time in years. And as everyone else went to bed, he went back to his corner. 
And he thought about the day. And then he went to start packing. Because he knew the next day, he had a long trip. He was headed for Jerusalem. To follow the instructions of the meek man who led him on the path and healed his life. To go and show himself to the priest so that he once again could be a part of the city again. And the broken dreams and the wasted years would be resurrected as he now had a new life and a new message to give about the man who met him on the road and changed his life forever and his decision to follow him. Let's pray to God. Father, we're so thankful for your word. Who would guess that you're both tough and tender? On our own, we might guess that you're tough, or on our own, we might guess that you're tender, but it took Jesus to show us that you're both. And we're thankful for him. Lord, we love him because of that. We pray that here at the church at Rocky Peak, Lord, that we would be learning how to be a a people that are both tough and tender. God, that we would be people of compassion and kindness, people of humility, people of gentleness, people of patience. They'll be growing in these qualities because it's what you are. Thank you for modeling them for us. We pray for the strength and the grace to change. We pray that you would change us from the inside out. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm